My name is Gary Sarley, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the leader of the Autobots from the planet Cybertron. We received your signal, and though I do not understand why, it was an honor to hear our human friend, Sam Witwicky, speaking with you last week. I must confess to being somewhat confused. I was unaware that Sam was involved with this Lord Vader you spoke of. Also, what exactly is a lightsaber? Are they like energy swords? If so, I believe I may need to have our legal counsel, Sharkobot, contact this Lucas fellow. I did have a question for Sam, though. Why don't you ever call her right? Bumblebee gets lonely at night, and Ratchet is tired of rocking him to sleep. Furthermore, you promised to, uh, change my oil, if you know what I mean, and I have acquired the requisite knee pads you asked for. Anyway, thank you for having Sam Witwicky on your show. If you contact him again, please ask him to stop home soon. Our surveillance records indicate that he has missed over 300 instances of happy time. He always was an active, if somewhat solitary, human adolescent. That is all. Autobots, roll out! Execute Order 66. Coming to you live, it's Sunday, February the 8th, 2009. Welcome back to the Order 66 podcast number 53. For all of you who sent birthday wishes, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I am a year older. However, I still have the maturity of a 26-year-old. No, make it a 14-year-old. Anyway, who knows? As, as, As many of you know, Chris is gone today and this weekend actually uh in Cabo and he didn't make any bones about the fact that it was gonna be like 80 degrees and uh you know practiced uh some significant douchebaggery telling me about that so I've decided I'm gonna do a podcast without him and with me if you heard that I think that was Seikos but I'll just go in order on my Skype Seikos hello what's going on I don't know what that was. That was some kind of something in the background. It may have been clicking. I don't know what my, that was, but my that's mouse. okay. Anyway, Psychos, welcome to the show. Aaron, what's going on? Yes. Nothing. Yeah. Likewise. See, I was bored, and I really wanted to do a podcast, so today is going to be a hodgepodge and a mix together of just a bunch of stuff. And so, you know... We picked up uh, picked up three three of our faithful listeners and we're going. So next on my list, Fiddleback, Brian. How's it going, Dave? What's going on, man? Well, you would know much like everybody else, nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know Fiddleback of Game On fame and general geekdom. Indeed. Indeed, indeed, and of course, last but certainly not least, my co-host on the Holocron and the host of. Meanwhile, the Super Gaming Podcast, mostly Joel. Hey, how's it going? 
Eh, you know, nothing. Nothing's going. <laughs> well, I, I, well, there's something going to be going down the line. You know, I'm, I'm kind of sitting there happy. Yay, we've got something to talk about on the next Holocron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, what are we going to do? Um, well, how are we going to start the show? Yes. All right. So we've been gone for like two weeks. And so rest assured, guys, in two weeks, I think everybody has posted a show that has a show to post on D20 Radio. We've had Minis Mayhem come out with their very first episode, aptly titled It's About Time. Joe, you had a uh, William Stoddard, I think you had, with you. Small But Vicious came out with number three. RFH has like two podcasts up in that time. And um, you also had Steve Jackson on, didn't you, Joe? No, uh, it's actually uh, David Pulver. He's the main line editor for GURPS. But I've had two, two GURPS alums on the show so far. Okay. All right. Um, Game On came out with uh, number seven, Poor Gamers Almanac, which uh, I follow to a T, I might add, all the way to uh, Goodwill and points beyond trying to find... Oh, I need to tell my story. Tell your story. I like your story. Should I tell my story? Okay. So I go into Goodwill and I'm like, yeah! Settlers of Catan. Sitting there. And then I remember, I hear I hear... I don't remember if it was Brian or Andy that said if the shelves are disorganized, check the boxes. Mm-hmm. These shelves were a mess. I checked the box. I opened the box. Axis and allies. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what are you going to do? Anyway, and then you followed up with uh, episode number eight, Dicey Situation, and that is awesome. No, it was Steve Jackson Games. It was Sean Punch from Steve Jackson Games. That's what it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know I had Steve Jackson on the brain there for uh, for you, for Joe. But uh... Yeah, one, uh, one of the more vocal and long-running interviews I've had in a while. That's good. So check out all of these fine programs at d20radio.com. So how do you get involved in our show? Obviously, go to the forums, d20radio.com slash forum, and you can make your voice known. Join the Gamer Nation or send an email to us at dave at d20radio.com or GM Chris. GM Dave, I'm sorry, at d20radio.com or GM Chris at d 20 radio.com What else we got going on, boys? Well, can I one-up Chris on one? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who've been on the Star Wars uh, main page for WotC there, you'll notice that the Clone Wars Web Enhancement 1, Paulus Masson went up. Uh, Rodney Thomas posted. It included the talking about small small mining colony of Paulus Massa, I believe it's pronounced. Yeah, the Paulus Massans. Mm-hmm. And yep. the species traits for one of the more bizarre species, and keep in mind, this is coming from, you know, scum and villainy and, you know, clone war species that they've released so far. The Polis Masans are really bizarre. <laughs> right. Now, also, on you're actually, you actually jumped right ahead of me because that was what I had next, is that web enhancement went up. We have a bunch of uh, Quarterbond creatures that have popped up since our last podcast. They uh, they popped up uh, last uh, earlier this, earlier last week actually. Sterling Hershey, 
comes in with the uh, a Star Wars miniatures scenario, since we like to give some love to Star Wars minis every once in a while. And who knows if Breb is ever going to get number two up, but, you know, hey, what are you going to do? And um, about a week and a half ago, Creatures of KOTOR 3 by Eric Cagle came up and has the Viper Kinrath. I'm not entirely sure what that is, but it's a CL7 large beast. Looks pretty nasty. As the as speed on it's pretty scary too. Um, is it really? Mm-hmm. It's 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 one of those high dex, high strength kind of critters, and with combat reflexes, point blank shot, and wep- and weapon focus. So, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be nasty. And the con is twenty two. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's not bad. Uh, and uh, something else, I'm not sure what is what is it? The Michael Michael Michael? I don't know. It's a medium airborne beast, CL four. And looks like it has, I don't know. That one has a that one flies and has a speed of eight squares, so it is. That's pretty good. They can be found on Kashik. Both uh, both speed both these species can be found on Kashik. If you're wandering in the lower, what do you call that? The lower zone or something like that. I forget. It, it's it's divided and and uh, the Wookies all live like in the top three layers, if I remember right. Below the canopy. Below the canopy. Yes, indeed. So anyway, yeah, lots of juicy bits of web goodness to be had there. So what do we got? We do not have postcards from Commander Cody this week. I know you're really sad about that, guys. He only seems to write to Chris. Yeah. I'm weeping openly. Yeah, are you? (laughs) (laughs) But I tell you what we do have, gentlemen is a piece of Stormtrooper poetry. And now, Stormtrooper poetry. While walking one day on Alderaan, I had my trooper armor on. The ladies like a turned-out trooper. I think I am really super. It really makes them turn their head. Too bad they soon will all be dead. But at least that means no commitment. Stormtrooper poetry. (laughs) I don't know who does those, but I like that guy. Mm, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> Where's Aaron? Did he did he drop? No, no, I'm right here. All right, you just hadn't said anything, so. This is going to be a disjointed podcast by any stretch of the imagination, and when we actually get to the meat of the conversation, it's going to be a gaming, uh, I'm sorry, a player's perspective on the games that we play, what we like and what we don't like to tell all you guys out there in the Gamer Nation that are GMs, Basically, how you get on our nerves, but what we'd like to see as well. Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. I do have a question that came in on the docking bay, and uh, do I need to fire off the music because this is going to be so low key? Oh, what the heck? I'll do it anyway. Twenty docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Yes. How about that, there, boys? <laughs> That's so usually, D twenty docking bay is where it's chock full of emails and such for Chris. However, 
I don't have the ability to get into his email and all that other stuff. So we'll read a couple of questions that came up on the forums. First, from Thorn9. Keldors and their masks. In my campaign, we have a Jedi Keldor. If attacked by or walking through poisonous gas, does this mask protect the player from said gas? I argue it doesn't because the Keldor are native to a toxic atmosphere, but the mask is protecting them from the regular atmosphere. And I think the chemical makeup of the mask versus regular noxious gases compared to oxygen is different, blah, 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 blah. So I'm not going to read the rest of the question. Basically, he's, he's talking about how he thinks if an environmental hazard comes up, the Keldor is automatically protected. Do you guys agree with that? Or not? You want to know what I think? Go ahead. Yeah. I actually think that there's no mention in this specific text anywhere in the books about Keldor having any inherent immunity to atmospheric or, or biological hazards or anything like that. So what I would do is actually the same thing as Donovan Morningfire stated. Treat that as a breath mask and give him an hour. That's mm-hmm. one way of interpreting it. I think you hit upon it, though. Nowhere in the book does it say that the Keldor aren't breathing. They're obviously pulling in some form of atmosphere, but the mask is filtering out the harmful elements of, the o- of an oxygen atmosphere that would kill them. Right, right. Uh, so, uh, But wait, 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 wait. And this is not in the rules as written. This is this is observed uh, in the Clone Wars series that's running on Cartoon Network. Yeah. Um, one of the Keldor Jedi is able to sustain himself in the uh, in the lack of atmosphere in space as he makes a jump from one ship to another, and for oh. a fair, fairly good length of time. That's right. Uh, Master Plume did. Uh, in fact, yeah, when he was fighting the. The docking, the boarding uh, drones. Mm-hmm. Huh. So there's got to be some sort of atmospheric seal around that mask. Mm-hmm. So if you're ruling that they have an hour to breathe in any environment, I mean, that's going to get you through just about anything encounter-related. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, don't, I just don't, I don't think you're going to be able to throw anything environmentally related to a Keldor that they can't handle in the matter of an encounter. Well, to be fair, I don't really like the Keldor species, and <laughs> now that now that I know this, this is the only probably the only reason why I would play Keldor species now. Okay. Just to be it, fair, well, there you it go. It does sound abusive. Yeah, it somewhat. Does. But I mean, how many environmental hazards? I mean, in in our campaign that we've been running, we've had two, in you know, environmental hazards. One was a poisonous something or other released into a room, and the other was. Uh, a gas from uh, something that we ruptured accidentally on purpose. But Well, here's one interpretation, and this is more the spirit of the rules rather than raw. If it's an environmental hazard, it doesn't rule out the, ch- the fact that the Keldor has to more or less expose his skin to it. So if it's a noxious poison, it could be a contact poison released into the air. It could be any sort of thing. Do they have time to pull out their scanners and figure out what exactly the substance is and what it's doing to them? 
you could you I would just re- treat it as a circumstance bonus, maybe granting plus two to the Keldor's defense against it, but beyond that, I wouldn't be too generous. Okay. Yeah, and it's just one, uh, one condition, you know, oxygen breathing. I mean, you still got heat, and you still got all these other types of uh, uh, environmental hazards that you could put up against it. Okay. Okay. All right, and he goes on now, talking about this Keldor Jedi, that he thinks the same player is abusing Mind Trick. So, he says the aforementioned Keldor is a Jedi, uses Mind Trick every opportunity. Now, this is illogical to him. Basically, they escape Darga the Hutt's lair, blah, 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 and they met a squad of seven troopers with an officer waiting at the space station, essentially blocking them from getting to their ship. The Jedi ran up, you know, within 12 squares of the officer, mind-tricked him, and then wanted that to apply to the whole squad. I say no. Mind trick is one person. That is correct. If he wants it to apply to the whole squad, then the entire squad gets a save against it. Mm -hmm. There is actual, um, I believe it's in um, either the KOTOR or the Force Unleashed. It's a force technique where you can apply it to more than one person. Okay. And that's a specific usage. Keep in mind when uh, Obi-Wan's more or less telling these are not the droids you're looking for, he's talking to the officer. Now, if you can convince the officer to tell his men to stand down, right. that's a whole other issue. That, and that, that's where I would go with that, is to, mm-hmm. to, to, get the, to get the officer to tell the other seven soldiers you know, to stand down and whatnot. So I, I don't know. He, he goes into about how he was in the Army and that they were obey and follow any lawful order, but not you know, lawful being the operative word. I, just, I don't know... I, I don't know that the Stormtrooper universe necessarily can be compared with the United States Army. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I just, uh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, have, just, if, he can, if, he can get the, if he can get the officer to give an order to everybody else and everybody accepts that order, then fine. But I would think uh, just because they are a, a military unit, whether they correlate exactly or not, that one of those guys who isn't subject to the mind trick may realize that something isn't right. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that in, you know, episode four, these aren't the droids you're looking for. I mean, that there was another trooper there, and he didn't say anything, so I don't know. Well, it buys you time. You could have the officer sit there and say, wait, I recognize these people. Let them pass, or something like along those right. lines. And it, this will come up in something when we get into the main, main part of the cast uh, about obstructionist GMing. Uh, something that's come up in my past, oh, which yeah. we can, we can talk about that then. But this is just one of those situations: is does it really matter that you're going to stop the players? Is it a point that is there some reason why you're just not going to let them sneak past these guards? Right. Yeah. Okay. Third question about the condition track. That one of his players wants to raise raise himself up on the condition track, so they use three swift actions to go up. Can they continue to do this all the way up the track, or Immediately after the battle, can you only come up one step until you rest? And if you can keep using it, it makes the condition track pointless, and within a minute you recover from all the stun damage, uh, or uh, all the damage taken that's not persistent. So, basically, here's the deal. There is no limit to using swift actions to move up the condition track, but 
The reason it's there is during an encounter, you're using an entire turn to move up the condition track. You get no action, you get no attack, you get no nothing. You get you you basically get to move up the condition track by sacrificing an entire turn. Now, after the encounter is over, well, okay, you're going to move up the condition track anyway. That's just there's nothing you can do about that. Players are going to move up the condition track. So I wouldn't worry about it. You guys? Agree. Okay, it's uh, Sorry. No, that's it. I think there's I think there's really nothing much else to say about that, you know? Well, it's it's very similar to how fourth edition handles things with the healing surge. It's the same idea. This is only something that applies to in combat. Out of combat, you can sit there, bandage yourself up. Get your friends to give you some medicine, have a drink, Bio whatever you transfer. need to do to yeah, get, all your, that stuff. get your yeah. energy back. Exactly. Okay, now I have one coming in from, uh, actually came in voicemail from the loser line. Oh, I forgot to say the loser line. 206-600-5872 or L-U-S-A is another way you can contact us to leave bumpers or ask questions. And I think there's a bumper attached to this one before the question, so let's listen to it. Good day, gentlemen. My name is G.M. Armand, and I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I never listen to the Order 66. On another note, guys, I have an important rules question. I've been GMing for quite a long time, and I've run into a rules lawyer who seems to think that the snare rifle, which reads uh, a character that is grabbed or grappled can attack to escape the snare or break out of it. You can use the pin and trip feats with a snare rifle, but you cannot use the crush or throw feats. He seems to think that the snare rifle gives him the feats, even though his character doesn't have them. Uh, I'd like you guys to take a look at that and give me a rules clarification. I appreciate it very much, and uh, happy gaming, folks. Bye. Yep, just like old Yogi Bear says, only you can stop rules lawyering. (laughs) I was about to say bumper denied. We got three quarters of a bumper there. Yeah, I oh yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, it's 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 the Order 66 podcast. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Anyway, one of you guys want to go ahead and give the short answer and then I'll fire off what uh what is surely to be a sound effect. Ooh, ooh, let me. Okay, go ahead. No. That's a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have a feat. You don't get one for free just because your equipment allows you to use it. I mean, let's let's stick to the keep it simple, stupid philosophy here. That okay, just because you can use double attack with a weapon doesn't mean you automatically get it. You have to take the feat, stupid. Yep. Just means if you have the feat, that that weapon will work with that feat. That's right. It. Right. So, Darth Kramer or uh, what was his name? I forgot. Oh, no. <laughs> Good day, gentlemen. My name is G.M. Armand. And- oh, yes, G.M. Armand from the beautiful town of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, home of the world champion Pittsburgh Steelers. G.M. Armand, thank you. Sorry, 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 I forgot your name. <laughs> Please send all hate mail to G.M. Dave at d20radio.com. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, or I mean, if you really, if you want to, you can send it to Game On at D Twenty Radio. Hey, wait! Whoa, 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 whoa! 
it, it, not only is it an issue of kiss, but it's also this is the spirit of the game. You're not going to get something for free, and even right. even if you have the most modified chunk of equipment, all you're doing is giving yourself options. If your character's not statted up to do it, then good luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. <clears throat> oh, I think I'm starting to get sick. That would be terrible if I got sick again. Yeah, don't do that right away. Eh. Eh. Well, I don't know. Yeah, something for nothing. Isn't it funny how uh, people just want something for nothing? Mm-hmm. I, as a I've player, seen, love that. I've noticed that many lo- many uh, rules lawyers have difficulty reading. Nah. <laughs> Either that or they, they, they read what they want to read, just like people hear what they want to hear sometimes. And that's... Mm-hmm. That's typically what you get with a with a rules lawyer that's just trying to read something into it that's just not there. So. It's a common rules lawyer trick. It's the run-on rule, like a run-on sentence. They sit there and they take one thing and apply it to everything else. Yep. Okay. Not all rules lawyers are bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know stand up. For the de- in defense, because there is rules lawyers that want it to be fair for everybody, and you know they will punish their other people, their other players, their friends at the gaming table, for all rules to be fair. Well, all right, I can kind of buy into that just a little bit, but that's almost a, dis- a, t- a topic for another discussion about yeah. problematic players and how yeah. to deal with them. We could, yeah, we could go for days. I think another episode and probably another podcast, maybe. Yeah, we'll wait for Chris to be out of town and then we'll do that. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> How about that? Okay, so that's it for D20 Docking Bay. A little bit of an abridged version this time around. So um, let's do this. The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. Zeltron Smuggler, Captain Theros. You know how to turn me on. Oh, you got it going on. Baby, you can make my day. Greetings, party beings. This is your good friend, Captain Theros, coming straight at you from the mid-rim, representing for Zeltros. We have a new question on our comm link for galactic dating tips with Captain Theros. This comes from our good friend, Mostly Joe. And he says, Huts are said to be asexual, but what's with that skimpy slave fetish? Well, mostly, Joe, it's like this. Huts are indeed asexual. When they're doing it, they're doing themselves. But the thing to remember is, they're not unlike the rest of us that way. I mean, who hasn't been cold and alone on one of those long hyperspace journeys? You popped out your old favorite naughty hollow, popped it in the old hollow player, taking hold of your own blaster pistol. I mean, it's really no different. It's just a matter of scale. I mean, let's be honest. If I could afford to have a live, skimpily clad Twi'lek dancer every time I was in the mood, I would do it. Wouldn't you? That's pretty much it. 
So uh, that's it, party beings. If you have any further questions for the captain related to your galactic dating needs, just send a communication over to my calm frequency on the D20 Radio Order 66 podcast boards, and I would be more than happy to answer your questions post-haste. So that's all for now, party beings. Everybody have a good time. Remember to stay freaky, stay loose, and I'll catch you next time. You're in the mid-rim. This is Captain Theros, out. Yeah, notice I fired the BBC warning off before that one. <laughs> well, he answered one question, but then there are so many others about huts. Like, imagine a lip lock with one of those things, and and not have it turn into vor. Yeah. Now, now, you know, I don't want to derail things here, but it was always my impression, and I and I'm not quite certain where I got this from. That that huts went through phases. They had a male phase, a female phase, and then an asexual phase. Am I am I off base on that? I don't know lore well enough to tell you, but no I, it makes. <laughs> I I don't even really want to think about it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I don't want to have to go buy the climbing gear in order to go sex a hut. Thank you very much. Okay. Oh. Oh. Well, you're the one who asked. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking and not actually exploring that little issue. That brings Orca into a whole new light. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So let's <clears throat> dispense with uh, the... Um, normally we have the fragments from the rim as well, but uh, I'm going to save that because I think Chris and I are going to do another podcast this week and like Tuesday or so. So I'm going to save at least one of our bits. And Fiddleback, you're going to owe me another uh, uh, poetry, by the way. Oh, Okay. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. That's supposed to be a surprise, right? Nobody knows you do that. Yeah, yeah, right, because nobody has any idea at all that I'm the one that does that. Right. <laughs> can, can, I, can I break another spoiler, or should I just stop now? No, go ahead. Like, uh, why aren't we hearing from, like, Red 5 anymore? Red 5? Uh, uh, Red 5? What happened green to him? Oh, Green 5. Green 5. Well, he's, he's lost somewhere in the outer rim right at the moment. He got separated from his squadron. I'm not really sure how it happened. Uh, something about stopping uh, somewhere along on the Kessel Run, and then he just kind of drifted off. But oh. if he gets up again, I'll let you know. Okay. I hope his nav computer was working, because otherwise uh, we won't be hearing from him. He just became spaghettified. Yeah. Spaghettified. He got noodleized, the boys. Okay, so now I want to thank... Who am I going to thank here? This is a full-on gamer who's responsible for the next, like, five or six minutes of talk as we suspend the rules. Request a motion to suspend the rules. You're gonna suspend the rules? Shut up, Sasha! Motion granted.
<laughs> okay, so Fiddleback is talking at Fiddleback. Full on gamer. <laughs> well, Fiddleback will be talking Drink. Here shortly. It's everywhere. Hoist it up. <laughs> Hoist it up. Drink again. Okay. So, okie dokie. What is he talking about? He's talking about pilots and being able to deal, I guess, do some different things with the multiple attacks by a pilot's directly controlled weapon, specifically starfighters. So how do you get Death Blossom on a ship? <laughs> okay, never mind. All right, so he has a new rule. A pilot-controlled weapon may be operated with one hand and may be used in conjunction with the dual weapon mastery feats. Okay, so in and of itself, I don't mind it. I don't really find it. It's that terrible. And here are the feats that it can be used in conjunction with. Double attack. Add this sentence. If you are in direct control of multiple vehicle weapons, you may opt to attack with up to two directly controlled vehicles directly controlled weapons once each instead of the same weapon twice and the same would apply for triple attack that you can attack with up to three controlled weapons instead of the same weapon three times in any combination what do you guys think about those two don't uh, everybody speak uh, at once I, th I think on, on the face of it it seems okay but I'm trying to think how uh, like the Y wings are set up because you know they got the forward cannon, they got the rear cannon, right? Now, and it's always been my impression that that the vehicles themselves are set up in such a way that that second cannon must be operated by a second person. But I, I you know, I'm just speculating. Right, and I, I think that pilot-controlled weapons. Yeah, I'm thinking of like an X-wing, like what I read all the time in all the X-wing books. Right. Yeah, and I, I would think that it would function along the lines of, you know, if you you guys see, you know, even Top Gun or whatever, right? Where <laughs> they have a selector switch on their joy on their little joystick. Ooh, that sounded dirty. Anyway, <laughs> they flip the switch. I'm too close for missiles, I'm switching to guns, you know. So you fire a missile, you switch to guns, you fire. I, I would I would view that along those lines. Because I, what I, you're, I think you're talking about the rear. The rear cannons are not pilot-controlled weapons. Right. There's another balance issue in that too, and we're talking about stacking up firing. Uh, imagine immediately jumping from your ion cannons straight into your standard blasters. You know, mid-flight. Well, yeah. what, what, you know, what, what? you can you can select different weapon systems. I, I you know, in flight and whatnot, you can. You can uh, switch from ions to to blasters and whatnot, but I I think controlling them simultaneously is going to be a little tricky. I, you know, it's just it's not. I'm just I'm not really thinking about the rule. I'm thinking about the practical application of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I meant, but like same action. Of course, you use them in the same flight. But I'm 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 talking like you sit there and you spam from one to the other. Where I thought most of the time the way it was it was ruled, you would go for go for one barrage and then. You know, was it swift action or something like that? Switch over your weapon system, go into the other barrage. Right, and that's usually the case because you have to switch. Yeah. But he's talking about being able to have your hands on two different weapons at the same time. So I, I don't, I don't know that I have. I, I think I'd have to research it and, and find 
some real good reasons not to do it, but I think yeah. on the face of it, I don't have that big a problem. So he's come up with multi-weapon mastery one, two, and three as well, by the way. You want me to read those? Sure. Basically, it's you're adept at operating multiple pilot-controlled vehicle weapons simultaneously. Prereq, dex, dex 13, base attack bonus plus one. And the benefit is basically, this is reworded. Attack with multi- multiple pilot-controlled vehicle weapons as a part of a full attack action. You take a minus five instead of a minus ten on all attack rolls until the start of your next turn. You only gain this reduced penalty if you are attacking with weapons with which you are proficient. And then, obviously, multi-weapon mastery two is uh, requires a dex 15, base attack five, six, multi-weapon one, and takes you down to a minus two penalty. And then multi, multi-weapon mastery three takes you to no penalty. So... It's like um, it's like dual weapon mastery one, two, and three. You know, this so. just seems like a really good excuse to to use up all your ammunition in a very short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's actually less worrisome than the the first one. Anytime you you're sacrificing a feat or a talent for something like that, I really don't have a big issue with it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right, and then he's got a couple of maneuvers like uh, Alpha Strike and Talents, like Thundering Guns, when uh, you can also you can do a full attack action with with multiple vehicle weapons as a standard action, and and um, I you know those I don't know about. And the Alpha Strike is a, is a maneuver that allows a pilot to combine multiple different weapons under his direct control into a single devastating attack. I'm not so sure about that one either because there's a lot of different weapon combinations that can be made to be uh, over, you know, unbalancing, I guess you could say. Are these, uh, I'm trying to look for it now. Are these, uh, these uh, starship maneuvers feats? I mean, part of the feats? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now. Yeah. These so, actually look, look kind of interesting. Yeah. This- does he specify the the size of the ship that these can be used on? I mean, could I go into a star destroyer and like fire every bloomin' cannon on the thing in a, in a in a single burst? And wasn't there already a talent that handled this? I don't know. There's a gunner talent tree, but I don't remember where it comes from. Because I, I think I've, it comes I've, from Chris or somebody. I know Chris liked it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I like it too. I mean, it's it's a problematic in the sense that you can sit there and exactly what you were saying, Brian, was that you would sit there and you'd take a whole bunch of that. That was it. It was a uh, fire linked weapons on page forty five, mm-hmm. where they talk about auto fire and optional fire links. It's something that you can have built into a weapon system. Right. So you're more or less taking a taking a, a maneuver and replicating what the effect of uh, of a modification on your weapon on your ship is, you know, it's kind of like, okay, all these auto cannons aren't fire linked, but I'm going to make it act like they are. Yeah, great. <laughs> you know? Right. Mm, yeah, I'm. I'm actually. I'm actually going to say no. I'm going to say that that sounds uh, a tad on the broken side to me. Yeah. What well, there's there's a modification that lets you fire lets you choose the fire link stuff, or is it a feeder maneuver? It's a modification. It's something built into the gun, but it always does that every time. You know, you have to sit there and unless you're going to pick something like uh, some of the optional fire links, otherwise, you know, you, you open up with an entire set of batteries simultaneously under one one roll, and that's generally dealt with the larger weapons, the larger ships. 
Yeah. Oh, you're talking about tactical fire, the special stuff that capital ships have. Right, right. And it it's it sounds problematic because you're more or less burning a tactic. You're burning a, um, a the, the, you're burning this in order to get something that could just be built into your ship. Right, right. Cuz you can you can fire you can link uh guns on 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 freighters and things like that. Um and and not have it be a problem, but it's a mechanical effect that you've built into the ship and the targeting computer and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't know that I would I don't know that I that I would say yes to those. And oh there it is, attack pattern, overwhelming assault. It it's more on page twenty seven. It's more or less covering overwhelming assault where vehicles that use overwhelming assault attack pattern concentrate their fire on a single target and execution of all others. You know, it takes swift action, you and it works. It's, uh, I believe, a DC twenty pilot check to do it. There you yeah. go. All right. Well, I think. Thank you again to Full On Gamer for your lovely question. If you want to get something in the forum that we could possibly talk about on the podcast, again, d twenty radio dot com slash forum, and post it in the suspending the rules. Subforum under the Order 66 podcast link, which lots of you have done. Now, I am also looking at uh, Donovan Morningfire's lightsaber forms house rule, which uh, we might actually have to get to soon because some of these look pretty good. Mm-hmm. So we'll whet your appetite for that and come back later at a different time. What the heck and is if- that, man? <laughs> some Skype issues that would- or something. Yep. There goes Skype. Wow. Holy smokes. All right. So as we talked about off the top of the show, the, the, the meat of the... Oh, sorry. That's me moving my microphone around. As, as the... We talked about on the top of the show, the meat of the podcast tonight is going to be us talking from a player's perspective. So many times we, we talk about the GM perspective because Chris does... Well, quite frankly, most of the talking, and he's always the GM. He's, I mean, until recently, no one else GM'd. Now, Brev has started GMing games for us, and, and uh, Tenny has started uh, GMing a game as well, the the co-host of, uh, what's the name of their podcast that they've only done one episode of? <laughs> yeah, Minnie's that one. Mayhem. Minnie's Mayhem, yeah. Exactly. So... They are starting to GM games, and I really should. I, I just don't, but you know, I just I just don't have the time to to write out a full episode or or um, or campaign. And that's I think that's the first thing that I want to I want from a player's perspective. If you're going to take the time to GM a game, take the time to GM a game. I mean, mm-hmm. don't half-ass it and just kind of shoehorn in your your um, what am I trying to say? Your encounters just haphazardly and just try to railroad those in. You know that's railroad is the wrong word, but you know I'm gonna do this. Damn it! Otherwise, I'm gonna do this anyway. <laughs> just because that's the only thing you prepared. I mean, be ready for lots. Of, be ready for different options. And you know we've we've said this before. Build build your encounters in such a way that they're modular and they can you can drop them in no matter what your players actually do. You know, that's, that's one thing that I enjoy as a player is 
not feeling constrained by the system and having a GM that is prepared for a curveball. Yeah, there there are some GMs who can who can wing it, um, but everyone I've met has had some sort of objective in mind when he starts winging it. You know, you know, kind of what you want your players to go through and 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 have some idea of, of how they eventually get there and they can do things on the fly. But <clears throat> I've played in a couple of games where you sit down at the table and it's, it's pretty obvious the GM hasn't got any idea what's going to happen at any point in time ever. Right. And, and those, those suck because it's, for one thing, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to find the, the plot you're supposed to be following if they're doing that. Right. Right. I think second on my list is that it's okay to have a TPK. If we as players do something absolutely stupid, like attack, um, I don't know, what, what did, uh, what did um, at the beginning of Dawn of Defiance, Chris was talking about somebody that attacked the BBEG, big time <sighs> boss. Right Ooh. out of the right off the right off the top, as you know, you're sitting there as a level two or three character. You're going to go attack a boss. You should be prepared to reap the reap mist. the whirlwind. Yes, exactly. And that's going to be a t- if you do something stupid, you deserve to die. Yeah, oh, but I'll argue that one. If you're if you're a game master and you're building something along those lines, and you've got a BBEG, don't put them out there for players to attack because what is the first rule? Players will attack anything that moves. Right. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, give give us an out. Obviously, if if you know when you attack the first the first whatever the first foray of this comes up, you don't hit him at all, and he does incredible damage to everybody in your party. We should be smart enough to know to withdraw at that point. Mm-hmm. But if they persist, kill them. Yeah. And, and sometimes stupid actions come not so much because the player is actually dumb, but because they're not seeing other options that, that should be there. You know, uh, like if you if you chase up after the the rancor, uh, you know, maybe there's maybe there's an option you're not seeing because the GM hasn't quite laid things out properly for you. So it, it I mean, it's hard to say that that just going in straight to an attack on a BBG or whatever uh, is inherently stupid. It might just seem like the only option. Right. And, and you need, as a GM, you need to clarify that there are some other options there. It's pretty obvious, uh, you know, GM Lucas told player Mark Hamill that the Rancor pit was filled with loads and loads of bones and spent some time stressing that fact mm-hmm. <laughs> before Luke got tossed in there. So, right. Yeah, there you go. All right, so what else? What do you guys like? Mm-hmm. Again, don't everyone speak at once. Right, <laughs> I, I like I like GMs who who will who will set aside a certain amount of time to plan in um, because I've 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 gamed with with GMs who are very much in a hurry to get us into the action so they want they want to kind of push things a little bit you know like if you take more than a minute or so deciding how you're going to tackle that squad of stormtroopers over there you know they'll say oh well then they notice you and they come attack it's like well you know, maybe I had an idea here somewhere I wanted to exercise. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes that is cinematic type. You know, you you took too long to do it. Well, 
too bad. You hesitated. Something bad happens to you. Yeah. Sometimes and there's 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 a definite point where you've where you've planned too long, but I I still like the opportunity to stop and look at a situation and say, okay, how am I going to go about this? But unless there's an implied time limit, don't penalize the players for stopping and using their heads because you know, hey, wait a minute, they're actually getting into the game. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. That's good. That's a good point. All right. So here's something else that I like to see. I like to see bending the rules for cinematic purpose. Absolutely. Uh, like a jump check, for example, that you fail. And you know you failed it. But if the, 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 the consequence is you're trying to do something spectacular, like jump from one speeding boat to another speeding boat to, to rescue a small child as a Wookiee. Yes, I did that. <laughs> and I failed the check. Now, ancillary to that, alright, you missed the boat, but you're Wookiee, you have claws. And if you can give me a climb check, you've grabbed the side of the boat. Yeah. You know, little things like that, and I passed the climb check, right? Or at least he told me I did, which is probably just GM Fiat. But still, it was cinematic, and I and then I eventually I clawed myself up on the boat. So yeah. I mean, that was a really neat little thing that came up in the in the middle of the of the campaign of the adventure. Yeah, there there are definitely GMs that are as rule lawyery as some of the players are out there, and if you blow a check or a or a, you know an attack roll or something like that, they'll just, they'll hammer you for it, and you'll you know instead of just you know barely grabbing hold of the boat, you'll drown in the water, you know mm-hmm. because because you blew the jump check or whatever. Um, if it's if it's something done as and there's kind of there's kind of two classes of actions. There's there's regular actions and then there's heroic actions. If it's done as a heroic action, those maybe should work a little more often than they than you might otherwise think. Right. The circumstance bonus, right? Mm-hmm. The off-use circumstance bonus, yeah. Well, it, it's also to keep in mind that the player characters have plot power. As much as they give us, you know, force points and destiny points, there should be an implied, you know, last chance save once a session. Maybe the player can call upon, you know, plot power. You know, it's, it's my star power. I'm going to use it, you know. Pull us, pull us out and um, you know play uh, Iron Man on hard difficulty. You know it's it saved me. Thanks. You know whatever. Just pull it out and do something where you're allowing the players to creatively talk their way out of a situation that they flubbed up because you know they, they blew their destiny point. You know two encounters before the game. You're running the game down. Don't just kill them because of an uh, honest mistake. Right. Because it sucks to die. Yeah, but yeah, but going yeah. going along with your other point that you made earlier, if it's if it's really bad and it and it serves a cinematic storytelling purpose, maybe that character needs to die. Right. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, I guess. That's what I said off the top. You know, don't be afraid to kill a character, but give them every opportunity not to die. Right. And don't let one player kill the party. If you if, if killing one player saves the party, because one player decides to, that you know logic is going to be set on the wayside, just take the player out and let the rest of the party go on with the game, and 
you know, he can bring in his other adventurer idea he has or somewhere down the line. Just don't penalize everyone because one player is being bad. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you always, oh, well, I've been fortunate, I guess, with our groups that we don't typically have anybody that winds up messing with a group dynamic. Although it's happened a couple of times that we've had some storm outs and whatnot, but overall, I've been very fortunate. You guys had any real bad experiences? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yes. I can't Dave. remember one offhand. Well, I like the way you said, oh, yeah, I'm waiting for you to expound. <laughs> uh, should you go? Uh, go. You go first. I'll, I'll tell my story right after you finish yours. Okay, fine. Um and this this isn't Star Wars. This is this is D and D, and I've probably told this story in a couple of various ways on my own podcast. But I'll go ahead and relay it here. Uh, we were trying out D and D four E, and none of us were really all that familiar with the rules, except the guy we picked as our GM, who said he had he had experience running it. He'd run it for other groups, and so we tried Keep on the Shadowfell. Now, setting aside the the pre-gen characters, which everybody knows are wrong, we made up uh, characters of our own and went in. And because of certain certain things that the GM was doing wrong and certain things that we were doing wrong, uh, we got wiped out by like the first band of kobolds that that you encounter in uh, Keep on the Shadowfell. Ow! And I mean, I don't mean just a little wiped. We got like TPK'd. Yeah. And I, uh, <laughs> a lot of it came down to the fact that RGM was a hardcore rules lawyer. And and also the fact that we were running a uh, pre-generated scenario, which he felt he had to stick to by the exact letter of the law as written in there. Um, we found out later that there were a bunch of things we could have been doing had we had better information about the location we were in, better information about uh, how the scenario was going down, and better information about just our options with the rules. And and he was unwilling to to give us the leeway to either to either find out what we could have done or or find out what different solutions there were to it, um, simply because he was so hardcore. On, on doing things his way without any any regard to the fact that you know technically we're the heroes of the story you know we're the, we're the guys who are supposed to be moving the story forward and and you know making things happen and whatnot we just we didn't go back to to d and d uh because of the way he ran that because we thought that's how the game was set up we thought they had really tweaked up the power level on in 4e and really made everything just hardcore badass and we weren't prepared to to go back into that and try to figure out where things went wrong until just recently when i've started rereading the rules and it's like oh we could have done this we could have done that you know we got all these other options so yeah there's there's some really bad gm experiences uh, my story is more from the point of view of a bad player. In this case, we're going to go back to old Westing games, Star Wars days, where we were playing a bunch of uh, re- rebellion members during the height of the rebellion. Well, one of the players thought the re- the rebellion was a bunch of chumps, and he really just wanted to play a uh, imperial sympathizer. And the game master more or less told him right up front, you know, hey, you do realize that this is a rebellion game. You guys are supposed to be rebellion sympathizers. 
Empire says, yeah, yeah, uh, he's working with Rebellion because he doesn't have any other choice, but he really kind of likes the Empire. And he's like, well, okay, I, I can agree with that. And, you know, okay, first warning sign should have been right there. You know, when, this, when the party smuggler who happens to own the ship is the guy who, sim- who sympathizes with the Empire over the rest of the party that's actually trying to move forward with the game, red light <laughs> you know well long story short and it's mostly a bunch of people screaming at each other at the table the basic plot boiled down to where we had to break into an imperial security facility located on a forest moon sound familiar um uh. <laughs> but this of course happened about this this uh, event apparently happens four months before the actual battle of endor uh, we were supposed to steal the schematics for this, the uh, defense grid. <clears throat> you know, kind of revisionist plotline where we actually were helping the rebellion leading up into the third movie. Well, that would have worked out up until the point where obstructionist player decides that he's going to uh, covertly pass the GM a note. And by this point, the rest of us had already kind of figured out what was going on, but we were going to play along up until the point. We were thinking he might like get us out of it, but you know do something minor we 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 didn't quite realize the scope of what he did and literally we walk into the facility he opens his gun up on us and starts firing at us and stormtroopers pop out of the middle of nowhere and it's pretty much a tpk because the player betrayed us and the gm let him do that let him do it didn't even stop it didn't even throw up a flag and say foul this character shouldn't be in this game see that's the point it one player, one really bad player can completely ruin a game. I've, ha- I've tried running uh, D&D games where I've had one bad player. Even, even with me trying to more or less say, stop, no, this isn't right, you will run across players where either they get some philosophical issue, you'll get across some sort of personality conflict with someone else in the game, and they will go out of their way to ruin the game. I'm not even talking like Looney or Munchkin. I'm just talking... I'm here to ruin everyone else's fun because it's either fun or for me or it's revenge you know, or something bizarre like that. Yeah, I've seen that. I just I don't know what you would do with that guy aside from just not allow it or try somehow not to allow it. I, I don't know as a GM what you would what I would do with that, but I'm I'm to the point now where it's uh, you get two you get like one warning, one friendly warning, one harsh warning, and then you're kicked. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you do that, you pass you pass a note to the to the other side and they're like, Wow, that's great. Thanks a <laughs> lot, you you traitor, and then you you get killed because you've showed no loyalty to anything. You've been dishonored. Yeah, but the GM should have stepped in at some point early on. It's one of those situations where the game master's too worried about running the simulation of the world to stop and go oh, wait, that's going to ruin my game, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes, the beautiful war stories that we have. Oh, yeah. I've had a, uh, now thinking about it, I've had a GM that went out of realization just to kill the, the other half of the party, where the party split up. And we were working for Job of the Hut, and uh, me and two others immediately just decided to like we, we failed at our job so we just decided to like hey let's just leave and and the other party went to go report back to job of the hut did some prep work and came back and killed us and <laughs> there's no realization of time there i mean the whole time we were busy trying to get out of out of off off the planet that we were on and 
off of which was Tatooine. And we went straight to the ship, took off, went to Karelia. During that time, the other half of the party had time to go back to Jabba the Hutt, report, and come back, set up an explosion that killed us when we got to Karelia. I mean, what is what? that? Yeah. We, <laughs> I, I, that smacks yeah, of, st- I of what Star Trekism. They transported. Uh-huh. Yeah. I have nothing else to say about that other than just wide-mouthed and surprised, shocked, and ridiculous. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that. Yep. All right. Well, all right, boys. We've been... We've been at this an hour. Can you believe that? Wow. I know. That's a pretty... That's a short podcast by Order 66 standards, but, you know, this wasn't... Hey, I, I have a question. Yeah. Uh, um, are you playing the game with Chris, where yeah. he's a player? No. Or what kind of... No, you're not? No. Oh. I, I, they, they play on... Um, they, tend, they tend to play on, like, Monday nights, and my daughter has soccer practice, and I... I uh, I drive the carpool on Monday nights with uh, with some other girls, and so I can't play. I was just kind of curious. I, I was kind of curious what what kind of like a uh, GM Brev is, and what kind of player Chris is. Okay, from what I understand, Brev is the type that is uber prepared. He writes his modules in such a way that he has alternate. It's like alternate flows. If to put it into project management speak, you've got you've got a process flow out there of you, you do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this. If something happens, you do this. If something happens, you do this. Brett always has like two or three options. If they do this, then you're gonna respond by doing this. If they do this, you're gonna do this. So he is he's on the other side of being completely overprepared to the point where I think he's used up a lot of time preparing for the campaign for things that the players won't do because they're way out of the 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 realm of, of normal, I don't want to say normal thought, but they're they're kind of fringe activities, you know. Wow. You know, yeah, they're, they're I, like I, I know groups that will go after game masters like that and make them cry. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, he'll literally he'll have you know the 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 spaceport door opens and you have you have a door to the left, a door to the right, and then he'll have if they find if they do a search check and find a small opening for whatever on the wall, then they could crawl through that crawl space to do this. You know, I mean, little itty-bitty things, sure, I guess it makes fun, but no one's going to look. They're going to go out the door. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyway. It's like, it's like choose-your-own-adventure books with half the options um, in Invisible Ink. Right. So once I once I get these... Uh, these um, modules from him in a publishable format i'll put them up but um yeah you'll see how you'll see how how detailed he is and he's he's a real good writer so you know he enjoys this kind of stuff as far as tenny goes i have no earthly idea um what style or or what you know what kind of a gm he is i i don't know i know that chris behaves at the table and doesn't rules lawyer him which is good I, I love the I love the overprepared GM. Yeah, I I don't think that's ever a bad thing. Well, yeah, I love them for a different reason it, because they're so fun to toy with. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, I, I I you know this sounds kind of like I'm a I'm a I'm a jerk of a player, uh-huh. but 
I like finding the option they didn't think about. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the more prepared they are, the the more I love hunting that that unexpected option. Well, it's it's the same kind of people, myself included, that will sit there and play like a Western style. Uh, role-playing game and look for, look for the break in the game. You know, you'll sit you'll sit there and kind of go. Eh, I'm playing Fallout Three, and you know, I'm kind of curious what happens when I sit there and I I take this weapon option and I'm up in this corner and ooh look pathing error ha 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 snipe 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 <laughs> you know yeah yeah it's it, you know on on in one hand the the over the, well I I hate. I don't really want to use the word overprepared, but the the well prepared, the extremely well prepared GM, is is kind of a is kind of fun to play with because they've got a story, they've got a plot, and if you can if you can go with it, you'll have a really good game, one that's one that's very memorable. But I also, on the other hand, like like the GM who's able to just kind of wing it if if things start going unexpectedly, because then when I do something unexpected, he's right there with me with with additional options right. and 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 things to kind of rein me back in. So, right. I, in terms of an ideal GM, I guess some mix of the two is is where I fall. An uber prepared spontaneous GM. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. The There's one ones. one I will give a warning for if your player keep an eye out for him and I've run across him a few times. Uh, His name's John and he lives uh never mind. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, it's more more than obstructionist. I'm going to call them the vengeful GM. Oh. Where if you start playing the game and you break their setting, they will break you. Oh yeah. <laughs> things things like the Trask will appear from nowhere and you know, just because you you killed the king you weren't supposed to kill or whatever. Every door has 14 stormtroopers behind it. Good luck. Right. <laughs> You've opened the wrong door. Time to die. Time to and die, Iron some... Eagle. Hmm? Nothing. Mm. <laughs> and sometimes there's what I like to refer to as the as the FOD GM, the finger of death. <laughs> where, where your character's dead. What? What happened? Why? He's just dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> How did I offend thee, Almighty One? <laughs> uh, we're not worthy. Please, we're not worthy. Please. Is that a new force power? <laughs> <laughs> the fod. Yeah. Mind weird. crush. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, all right, boys. We're just about out of time, so we will wrap this one up with your blessing. Is that okay? Sure. So thank you very much to Fiddleback and Seikos and... Mostly Joe for spending all your time with me on a boring Sunday evening. It was cool. considerably cool. less boring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And thank you all, Gamer Nation, for allowing us to invade your personal space. So, um, does anybody want to give me the uh, usual close um, from Chris's perspective? Oh, do you uh, do y'all remember good it? Gaming, huh? Peace, love, and good gaming. That's right. And then I'll say, keep those dice rolling. We'll catch you guys on Tuesday, Gamer Nation. Take care, and we will see ya. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. 
www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Daydreaming with GM Dave. Alright, so now the entire Gamer Nation is mad at us because we had a surprise podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we lied to everybody. We, we sat there in that chat room for two, three hours telling people, nope, not tonight, it'll be Tuesday, boys. I know, I, I mean, and I was in that chat room two or three different times. One time I was just jacking with you guys, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I know. Firefighting podcast. I just get, well, yeah, the firefighting. <laughs> That's right, because somebody said, somebody said they wanted a co-hose. That was me. Oh, that was you. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can be my co-hose. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, we're going to do like the NASCAR one, and they turn left, and they turn left, and they uh, turn left. Another left turn, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so to the Gamer Nation that uh, came into the chat room and left the chat room, we are not videoing this. We are not broadcasting this on Ustream. Nothing. We just impromptu. We were all sitting in the chat room, and we decided, what the hell? We can talk about Star Wars for an hour easy. And so we did, by golly. Yep. Now, granted, Merry on Christmas. I've taken all the news away from the Watsi site and all the stuff that we normally do off the top of the show. So I have no idea what Order 66 news is going to look like in two days. Unless, oh, uh, unless Rodney puts something up today or tomorrow. You forgot to forgot to uh, say tell everyone there's this, there's Galaxy at War book coming out. Mm-hmm. There's what? The Galaxy at War book coming out. Oh, in, yeah, that's right. See, in okay, September. We can do that on Tuesday, but now I can't even do it on Tuesday because here it is. We just did it. Oh, oh. Ow, my bad. Well, let let Chris at least break it down because I, I have questions. Yeah. Like, how is this going to tie into Clone Wars? Doesn't Clone Wars already cover a lot of this territory? And is this this rumored project that Rodney can't talk about that might be tied to, say, like, you know, large tactical unit miniatures play? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Yeah, because yeah. he's, he's always bound to not talk about stuff even though it's leaked. It's like a campaign guide, right? Well, what campaign is it guiding? Well, it, I mean, what era? I don't know that it's tied to an era. Huh? I don't know that it's tied to an era. Like Force Unleashed, not. you know, is not. Yeah. Like Scum and Villainy is not really tied. Yeah, you know, like KOTOR is not tied to anything. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, wondered, I wondered what you guys were going to say to that, but... Okay. <laughs> you know, and... Anyway, but... Or, so... Gamer Nation, don't be mad at us that we surprised you with a podcast that you weren't ready to watch. So that's all I really wanted to say with that. Treat it as a special gift from us to you. That's right. It's like Order 66 bonus. That's right. We've suspended Just... the host. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, well, I forgot to tie that in. <laughs> Gosh darn it. Doggone it. Anyway. All right. So how many of you guys were glued to your television Saturday night watching the Bud Shootout? The what? Yeah. Huh? Okay. That's what that I would figured. The, that would be the television I don't own? That's what I figured. See? <laughs> I watch everything on Hulu.com. I'm a pimped out. Pimp that out the episode, that website because it's the boss website. Oh yeah, watch out! You get your Battlestar Galactica fix there. Yeah, I get everything. I got one more fix there. I've watched everything there. Cool. And if not there, go to Juiced. That's another good site for a lot of internet TV. There you go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the uh, Bud Shootout signifies the start of the NASCAR season, so Dave starts talking NASCAR again. And this is daydreaming, so don't even bother to complain. Oh, we're not on the forums. Not you guys. Go ahead. You know, not oh, you okay. guys. But. You know, they were just uh, taking their left turns around Daytona International Speedway, and Tony Stewart went from 12th to 3rd in the last two laps and probably would have won the race had uh, freaking Jimmy Johnson not wrecked with David Stremme. I just, you know. here. Okay, here's a fundamental problem I have with NASCAR. What is it? Free agency. Basically, free agency has screwed me up in football because my fantasy football rosters just change too damn often because guys are moving teams and whatnot. It's happening in NASCAR now, too. Tony Stewart used to be iconic in the Home Depot number 20, and now he's driving the Old Spice number 14 all of a sudden. 14 is cool because that was A.J. Foyt's number in IndyCar, and I love IndyCar, you know, Danica Patrick and all that stuff, Which who, who was on the Super Bowl twice in two different gold GoDaddy commercials that I melted both times. Because <laughs> one time she got in the shower. Oh, oh dear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh. Uh, I almost had to grab my blaster pistol on that one. Oh. <laughs> Damn you, Theros. No. <laughs> no. Okay. So anyway, yeah, 14 doesn't bug me so much. But all these, you know, like iconic drivers that are driving different number cars, and that's how you identify. That's how NASCAR was so successful back in the late 90s and early aughts, is that the drivers stayed with their cars, and their numbers became synonymous with certain types you know the black number three will always be dale earnhardt no one will ever drive that number three car again but you know the number eight budweiser is iconic for dale earnhardt jr not anymore now it's the u.s national guard 88 you know I, you know I, anyway you guys have absolutely no idea what i'm talking about but well I, I i do actually because i i used to watch nascar quite a bit but my era of nascar was was in the uh, was in the mid to late 80s. Oh, the Cale Yarborough at Lake Speed and... Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Cold Trickle. <laughs> yeah, Cold Trickle. Boy, I used to sell NASCAR. Game. What? Sorry. I, I used to sell NASCAR goods over phone cells back when I was, you know, bouncing around from, you know, whatever job to whatever job. And, uh, yeah, I had to learn a lot of the driver's names and stuff. So. Really? Did you, no, did I, you sell I, Harry I Gantt Skull cans? <laughs> you name it. If it was NASCAR merchandise, I probably sold it over the phone. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Or Alan Kolwicki Hooters. <laughs> um, Although but, he, but he, what, you were, what you were saying about numbers and whatnot—that that was even more so back then. Because I, boy, if you don't know what Richard Petty's number was, you just weren't paying attention. Oh gosh, yeah. No, and hey, there, there's a there's finally another Petty Blue car out there. I I do enjoy that. The number forty four is Petty Blue. So, yep. yeah. Well, it's they're having problems with sponsors. I mean, 
it's bad enough that Sprint Nextel nonsense is going on, but now they've got issues with a lot of the old sponsors can't support them anymore because of the the, the economy. I wouldn't be surprised that we're going to have musical drivers for the next you know four or five years until things stabilize. Right. Yeah. Notice that we don't have any Bank of America car, or, or <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, I'm guessing that the um, oh, who is that? Kyle Petty. I, I'm guessing he doesn't have that sponsorship from Wells Fargo anymore either. Mm-mm. That's what I'm, I'm just guessing. I mean, you know, being that they use their bailout money to try and send all their managers to Las Vegas, which actually, you know, I used to do that. I got to go to Las Vegas twice. They they have a big conference that they send like the top one percent of their managers out. And it's a recognition. It's a reward and recognition thing. Well, the press got a hold of it. They're like, you're sending all these managers out to Las Vegas. Like, it's a terrible thing. I mean, it's 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 tantamount to a bonus for the rank and file. I mean, I can see taking away bonuses for CEOs. That's fine. But if you penalize the rank and file in an already down market, I just I don't see the wisdom of that. I, I personally would not have minded them spending a million dollars on 300 or so or or 1,000 people to go out to Las Vegas because that was the highlight of my career, really. You know, to be able to say that I went to Vegas twice was was just fantastic. So I don't don't agree with them canceling that trip and kowtowing, basically, to to the media just because they got bailout money. But, yeah. Hey, did, you, bailout you, money you, is you, about the only thing that people are going for these days. Yeah, I know. You'll get me. You'll get me started on a whole host of reasons that TARP shouldn't even exist. That these banks should have just been allowed to fail. But the volume to which they would have failed probably would have killed the economy. So, you know, I, I don't know. We, we'll wind up like Iceland. <laughs> Yay! Looting, ru- looting, riot. <laughs> You, you Cold know, and steam powered? What? <laughs> no, Iceland's entire country failed. The government oh. was no confidence or whatever. Um, yeah. Anyway, the dominoes fall. But uh, aside from that, yeah, when did we get into a business? How on earth did we get into a business discussion during a gaming podcast? <laughs> it is daydreaming. It is daydreaming. We, we go from NASCAR to business to soap on a rope. Oh, it's just it's worrisome soap. because oh soap on a rope. Yeah. Soap. I used oh, to have an R two D two soap on a rope <laughs> when I was a kid. Oh. oh god, I remember those now. Oh my god. See, close in the circle. Close in the circle. There you go. See, <laughs> that's all it is right there, boys. That's all it is. So, anyway, okay. So now here's my deal. I sent a letter to Eminem Mars. Or Mars, actually. Mm-hmm. And and I sent it under the guise of D20 Radio, telling him <laughs> that we were going to be talking about their beloved product, Skittles, on our podcast. My beloved product, Skittles. I love Skittles. I can't get enough Skittles. Anyway, what I we have this office exchange program where two or three of us like Skittles, and we'll go get Skittles on Fridays. And, and then we'll take the bags we'll separate out the colors and one guy gets all the all the orange ones i get all the green ones the girl gets all the purple ones we split the red ones and because that's the color that we like so it brought up the discussion of why can't we buy skittles by color you can buy m&ms by color which defeats the purpose to me because they're all chocolate 
Skittles taste right. different. Mm-hmm. So, do any of you know if I can buy Skittles by this by the color? Boy, I sure don't. I don't either. And I and I had a look at the the Skittles website, and I didn't see any option for getting them by color. Yeah, I uh, I looked. Believe me, I looked. We even went down to a little place called Popcorn Papa. That's like a bulk candy and popcorn place. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have them. They have all kinds of other things by color, but you know, like jelly beans and stuff, but not Skittles. They have sour balls segregated by color, but not Skittles. <laughs> anyway, so well, I sent them a uh, I sent them a question through their media inquiries link mm. hoping that I would get an official response and told them hey anything you respond to me with is going on the air <laughs> because I, I just you know I, I don't know that there's really big demand for it but when I mentioned something in our cube farm they all were like dude yeah we love Skittles and everybody had a favorite flavor and so the Skittles exchange program was born did you guys see the dual core Skittles or the, the what are core they, like, Skittles, whatever. <laughs> are they core duo? No, no, it's <laughs> Skittles, Skittles where the outside is not does not match the inside. Oh, now that sucks right there. I can't. I don't think I can handle it. I cannot eat a purple Skittle and it tastes like lime. It's exactly <laughs> what they are now. They the inside <laughs> and the outside look different. Well, guys, I'm actually gonna have to bow out, or my wife will kill me. So I will talk to y'all later. Oh, wife aggro. All right, yeah. sir. All right. <laughs> Take care, Joe. Thank you for coming, man. Take care. Bye. Bye. Wow, that's like the first time that somebody actually had to bail in the middle of the show. Aside yeah, from was, aside from a guest. Serious know. wife aggro. Wow, that mm-hmm. had to be serious wife aggro. My wife is sick and laying in bed, probably asleep right now, so hence I don't have wife aggro, but I do have to. Dang it, you know what? We should probably wrap it up because I have like a giant presentation to finish up. Well, did Mars ever like uh, respond back to you? No, not yet, because I sent it like on Thursday. Oh, okay. So we'll see how it goes, but I would love for them to respond and say, yes, here, Dave, is a coupon for three pounds of green Skittles. I wonder where, they make, I wonder where they make Skittles. Wouldn't that be great to go to like the Skittles manufacturing facility? Like you go to the Coors <laughs> Brewery and they give you a free beer at the end? <laughs> well, the, well, we know we all know that Hershey has their own factory that you can tour. That right? Does Mar- I don't even know where Mars is located. I, I don't either. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll research that and I'll get back to you for daydreaming on Tuesday, as we talk about the Skittle Saga edition. This is turning out like a part one podcast and part two podcast. Part two being on Tuesday. There you go. See, they're going to put together Grey's Anatomy and. Um, private practice say what oh my gosh dude it's gonna be great it's gonna be absolutely great because i like gray's anatomy and i absolutely love kate oh what's her name dang it what's her name private practice redhead hot and then amy brenneman i had for some reason i had a thing for her but she's not as good she doesn't do as much for me can we just pretend this kate person is actually felicia day oh (laughs) (laughs) who's gonna ignore us forever but yeah. you know. <laughs> once we get the holocron up and running, then I guarantee you that I'll be able to talk to her. But yeah, you know, that's closer to when Star Wars: Old Republic, blah blah blah, comes out. Talking about talking about shows, you know, crossing over on each other and whatnot, reminded me of uh, 
of uh, the Batman Green Hornet crossovers that used to happen every once in a while. Kate Walsh. Kate Walsh. There you go. Sorry. That's all right. You know, you'd you'd have like you'd have like an episode of Batman, the the cheesy, the cheesy one, and and Green Hornet would show up and oh, yeah. run around and do all that stuff, and then they'd you know Green Hornet episode would have Batman in it and kind of stuff like that. Right. Yeah, I know. And then you get Gilligan's Island with the monkeys in it and mass hysteria. Yeah. You see, they were remaking uh, Land of the Lost with Will Ferrell. I did see that, and I saw I saw the preview for it. And actually, I gotta say, looks like it might be okay. I don't know, man. I just don't trust it. Well, the original Land of the Lost was not all. I mean, if you're eight or nine, sure, it was great, but it's not really the pinnacle of children's television entertainment. I wouldn't my, call it the my pinnacle. My email of any address television. is game on it at uh, d20radio.com. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's okay, dude. I wouldn't call it the pinnacle of any television achievement, but you know, it is what it is. It was a fun little show when I was a kid, mm-hmm. just like Electra Woman and Dinah Girl and Oh and, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Lost Saucer. Ruth Buzzy was in that one. You remember that mm-hmm. one? And Sigma and Jim Neighbors. Jim Neighbors. That's right. I didn't much care for the Bugaloos. No, Bugaloos didn't do anything for me. Or HR uh, Puff and stuff didn't do anything for me either. Right. You remember uh, what was it? Arc two. No. They had the big, uh, the big like huge tricked out Winnebago thing and the chimpanzee that talked. And... Oh, okay, I remember now. Yeah, I got it now. I didn't watch I it much, it. but yeah. I got that on DVD. It actually held up pretty well. Holy smokes! Yeah. You remember the banana split show? Na 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 na. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a whole section of the seventies where it was just. It was just people stuffed in giant costumes. Yeah. <laughs> For no particular reason. Oh, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Sigmund and the... That's right. Sigmund... Hey. Sigmund Fraud. Billy Barty. Oh, golly, man. That's a... Wow. That was fringe, dude. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm playing <laughs> Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, and I finally beat the game. You know, I was... A couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned that I'd only played, like, half the game, so... I decided to go ahead and beat the game, and um, I started playing multiplayer. Man, I suck. And the, here's the thing. The, this is what I do not like about multiplayer games that, that will do this. You start with basic, even though I beat the game, I'm starting with basic equipment. And I, as a level 3, am going into a room fighting level 54s that have all this badass stuff. You know, laser sights and radars and all that. I don't have a chance. And, and <laughs> you know, and I come in two kills, 13 deaths. Yeah, yeah. there's my 27 experience. Oh, Jesus. You know, I just, I, I don't agree with that. I That's one thing I liked about Halo is that you put in, occasionally I'd pop in as, you know, I was I don't remember what I was at the time. I, I got up to like 23 or something level level wise and. Occasionally, I'd find myself with a 30 or with a 17, but I'd never get more than five or six levels apart, you know, and, and they did a good job of matching up those rooms. Yeah. But, I, but, I, have, I have mixed experiences with, with online multiplayer in, in shooting games specifically. Yeah. We, used to, we used to, my old roommate and I used to play uh, Star Wars Battlefront online. Oh, I love that. And and we got we got our jollies off of being jackasses basically because we we join up like the Empire 
you know, get Stormtrooper and run around and all that stuff. We'd play straight for about five or ten minutes on a given server. And then we'd start, we'd start shooting our own guys in the back of the head and whatnot and, and screaming into the microphone, I'm a rebel sympathizer! <laughs> wow. <laughs> just, just being jerks the whole way through it. Now, here's the one cool thing that, that uh, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare did in the multiplayer realm. You cannot kill your own team members. Yeah. So that gets some of that douchebaggery out of the way. Yeah. But well, the really funny part was that you were supposed to be able to kick people who were a problem in 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 your server or whatnot. But the the route to get to the to the kick option was so complicated that it would time out before they could get enough votes, so they could never get rid of us on the server. Oh right, there you go. Yeah, yeah I remember standing in line for Battlefront. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That was cool. That was a cool game, though. I enjoyed it. Yeah. All right, boys. We're at an hour and a half, and I really need to go. So, thank Alrighty. you guys very much for uh, you know for hanging around and doing a podcast with me. Hey, no problem. Happy to do it. Yeah, the last twenty minutes or so have basically been Geekapalooza. Excellent. You know, so it's it's going to be a giant Dave dreaming. <laughs> 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 anyway, we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Hey. All right. See ya. All right, man. Thanks, Dave. You bet.